You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of The Laundromat. First, you must ask yourself, are you wealthy? Super truth of the world is that most games, someone to win. Well, someone has to lose. It's a fairy tale that actually happened. There's confusion over who has to pay. So they drowned Joe and 20 other innocent people. And somebody's making money from it. It all goes back to this law firm, Mossack Fonseca. So what happens next? What do we do next? All I did was try and send money. It's a scam that goes from Houston to the West Indies to some bank who knows where. They're getting away with murder. Which is bad. Bed? Yeah, bed is such a big word for being such a small word. I'm on a get your back. Gonna go out on the town. Get your back. How does it all work? Bribery, corruption, money laundering, millions and millions and millions of dollars. Somebody has to sound the alarm. Where the fuck is my money? Most of the time, we don't even know. All right, everyone, you were just listening to the trailer for The Laundromat, and the story is as follows. A widow investigates an insurance fraud, chasing leads to a pair of Panama City law partners exploiting the world's financial system. The film is starring Meryl Streep, Gary Oldman, Antonio Banderas, Jeffrey Wright, Robert Patrick, David Schwimmer, and Sharon Stone. It is directed by Steven Soderbergh, and it is written by Scott Z. Burns. Joining me for this podcast review, I have Nicole Ackman. Hi, everyone. Dan Bayer. Hello, hello. And Ryan C. Showers. Who doesn't love time with Meryl? Uh, depends. <laughs> is the movie that Meryl is a part of any good? Well, <laughs> there is there is a mixed reaction in the air. I can sense it already. So, Steven Soderbergh, a filmmaker that we all like because, let's face it, he never makes the same film twice unless if you count all the Ocean's movies and Logan Lucky. But discrediting that for a minute here... <laughs> He is a filmmaker that always does something somewhat different. And The Laundromat is fully stacked here in terms of its casting. Meryl Streep, as we just mentioned a second ago. Gary Oldman, Antonio Banderas. I I just named the names a second ago. I don't even know why I'm about to say them all over again. But needless to say, Scott Z. Burns, writer. You know, he also wrote um, The Report this year, which some of us have had the uh, opportunity to see. So there's a lot of stuff, you know, working in this movie's favor. But, yeah, there's definitely a uh, mixed reaction to this one. I want to get into it. We all had the ability to see it either in theaters or, in Dan's case, at Toronto or, in some cases, on Netflix. So, why don't we kick it off first with Nicole Ackman. What did you think of The Laundromat? All right. I know that there are some people who like it more than others. And I will say that I don't, you know, fault anyone who who likes this movie. But um, it's currently sitting in my uh, last spot on my rankings for 2019 movies that I've seen. Um, I I really didn't like this movie at all. I felt like I learned more about the Panama Papers from reading the like top of the Wikipedia page for them um, than I did in watching this entire film. And I, I 
I just kind of felt like I got nothing from this. It just felt like a little bit of a mess to me, which is funny because I saw the report recently and really liked it. So I think I maybe had my expectations set too high for Scott Z. Burns. I don't know. I, uh, I, I'm, I'm a no on this. <laughs> I'm going to just like preface by saying, and I've said this before on the podcast, there are two ways to really, really piss me off when watching a movie. Okay, I think a lot of people have probably caught on that I I don't like uh, I don't like kids like in you know, like in danger or and not not in danger. That's like the wrong way to put it. Like don't kill kids, you know. Yeah. That's that's like that's like number one. Number two is don't waste talent. Yes. Okay. And if you do that, um, I'm gonna be really really harsh because not only did I go in high expectations, but then you lowered them completely for me. And that's what I look at when I think of the laundromat is that it is probably maybe now other than what was before glass, probably the biggest disappointment of the year for me just on paper alone. Ah man, yeah. Why don't we Why don't we kick it over to to someone who's a little bit more positive? Uh, Dan, your review is the one that's written up on the site. You saw yeah. it at Toronto. I've been dying to hear, uh, you know, the reasoning, you know, behind, uh, you know, why you like this movie. Um, because I'm I'm struggling. So have at it. What did you think of the laundromat? I think it is entertaining. Okay. Um, and I think that's that's the big thing about it for me. Um, I, I can recognize you know some flaws and weaknesses, but I can forgive a lot in a movie if at the end of the day, I enjoy watching it. And at the end of the day, I enjoyed watching the laundromat. Um, there sort of work is constantly pulling something new out of his bag of tricks to keep you interested and keep things moving and make the stuff that he's talking about. This honestly has some of the most entertaining and accessible exposition dialogue. I think I've ever seen in a movie. Um, and I credit, you know, not mostly uh, Scott Z Burns, but also really Antonio Banderas and Gary Oldman, who, Let's be honest, Gary Oldman is just giving you the biggest side of German ham. I just wish I could it's, understand him. Oh, my God. It's the full Gary Oldman, like, accent experience, it is if you will. Completely, you know, it is so wrong, it goes all the way back around to being right. Um, just like his Oscar win. Um, but I'm about the laundromat, um, I... I just really I love when a movie has a sense of play about the cinematic form itself and that is the thing that really you know ticked me up from like a 5 or a 6 out of 10 on this is that it's really using the form and you know what we know about films it uses that to um in some really clever ways um I, I think the movie that I've seen this most compared to is The Big Short. And honestly, that my initial tweet reaction was leave it to Soderbergh to beat Adam McKay at his own game. Um, and I think that this one, this film really gets at something in the the energy that it has where I enjoyed watching it. I enjoyed learning from it. 
And I never once felt like I was being talked down to, except for the moments when, you know, it's supposed to be that way because some of these characters are assholes. Sure. And I, yeah, that's what it comes down to. I enjoyed it. It was entertaining. And I thought it worked. And I think it works in a lot of ways that some of the criticisms I've read don't, they don't fully deal with what the film is doing. And I think that's a little unfair. So I've actually come out as like a stronger proponent of this movie than I probably am. Congratulations, Dan. You now know what it feels like to be <laughs> me last year with vice. Oh, I, I've known. I have known <laughs> Ryan. What did you think of the laundromat? Well, I really see a lot of the points that Nicole is making and a lot of the points that Dan is making. Um, for instance, I do think uh, the one unimpeachable thing about this movie for me is I think it's very competent and I think it's very entertaining. Um, like, for instance, I, I watched this movie before work one morning and I really did enjoy watching it, even though I found the screenplay very frustrating at times. I thought a lot of the choices were unnecessary. Um, I thought the jumping around that it did was unnecessary. And I don't, frankly, I don't think it explained the Panama Papers as well or as intelligently as Soderbergh is capable of or as well or as intelligent as he wanted to. I think that he focuses on these random, like I think he builds the first segment with Meryl Streep very well. Um, but then the way that we jump around to the other two storylines later on, I think is quite jarring and ineffective. And it's almost, it's all, like he, the way that he, makes the film is he focuses on these characters rather than the Panama Papers itself and themselves. And they, he feels like he just squeezes these little facts about the Panama Papers in here or there around these character moments. Um, I know that Steven Soderbergh can make a better movie than this. Yeah. Um, and I think Dan comparing it to the big short, it is like a poor man's big short in the fact that like, it doesn't explain the Panama Papers well at all. Ryan, like, that's literally what I called it earlier today to one of my coworkers. <laughs> I was like, it's a poor man's big short. <laughs> it really is. Here's but... what it here's what it does do, in my opinion. I, I think that and Ryan, you just alluded to this. I think it does a really good job in the beginning. In the very beginning, I was on board with this movie. Money symbol opening up the screen, some voiceover following um, you know, Gary Oldman and Antonio Banderas as they're narrating everything, talking to us about the concept of money and credit. And next thing you know, we're in Lake George and we're following Meryl Streep and James Cromwell and tragedy ensues. 21 people die. And there's a, a good setup there for Meryl Streep's character in this movie. And I was thinking to myself, OK, when is this movie going to take a turn? Uh, because I, I'm really, really into this right now at the moment. Very, very much so. And it is when the movie did shift focus from her point of view to go off on these other side stories or mini movies that I, I just thought I, that's where uh, the disengagement happened. That's where everything stopped becoming coherent in terms of the explanation behind the Panama Papers. And I just didn't really care Bingo. about some of these other characters. Like, what is Matthias? So, so like, shit, I can't even say his name right now. I'm like so baffled. But like, some of these sequences, I just was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be taking away from this right now. Exactly. And I also, I would have even been able to deal with those better if they had, like, kept coming back to the Meryl Streep character. I think her name's, like, Ellen in a yes. meaningful way. Great but point. it kind of felt like, to me, 
I don't know. I compared it earlier to Steve Carell's character in The Big Short is kind of the person who has more emotional tug because he's got that like backstory with his brother and whatever. And it kind of felt like if you had taken that character, the only one that you're emotionally attached to and then dropped him a third of the way through the movie. And then it's like, well, I don't care about anyone here anymore. So I'm not really sure what I'm meant to be doing. Well, and also the fact that it is so once like the story stops, like once like Meryl's character is like it halts the the narrative, like the movie just it, it becomes kind of confusing. Like why are we suddenly like invested in this um, this affair with a uh, dad and the daughter and the daughter's friend? Like uh, it's <laughs> the fact. That, I was, was so it, confused. It doesn't like all the like the way that it shifts gears. It doesn't explain anything about the Panama Papers in a coherent way. Here's what I will say in defense of that sequence, though. Um, I will say that that sequence, um, I actually liked it uh, as a mini movie, you know, onto mm-hmm. itself. Okay. I didn't feel like it worked in the context of this movie. Because once again, I, I kind of failed to see why we were spending so much time with it when it was distracting from the plot I was more heavily invested in. But I will admit that as like a short or if this was just completely separate from the rest of what was happening. Uh, I mean, like there's one line I wrote down even that I really, really liked that actually resonated with me. And it was the line where he tells uh, his daughter, this is adulthood. Welcome. It is filled with disappointments and negotiations. And I'm like, shit, yeah. I'm like, that is it in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. But I, but at the same time, I didn't see how this fit into the overall whole. As a part, okay. But <laughs> I truly thought that my Netflix had like messed up and put me onto a different film for a minute. Yeah, it like, feels I, I like that. Like, Did I, am, I, am I watching The Laundromat still? <laughs> okay, so this is where I come in and say that all of your, all of these things would be valid if the laundromat was a narrative film, but it's not. What is it? Because if if you're going to tell me it's basically Gary Oldman and Antonio Banderas just trying to talk to us, then I don't think they do it successfully. No, it's an essay film. Uh, All right, expand. (laughs) An incoherent essay? Like... My grandfather was an English teacher, and he would give this. Like, I, I hate to say this. I, I really hate to say this because I don't know what it's going to say about me. But I remember when we uh, all saw Vice, and I remember saying something along the lines of the reason why Adam McKay's style, I think, works uh, for me is because it works for the lowest common denominator and <laughs> that it is blunt and it, it is kind of like unavoidable to like not you just like you can't walk away from it not knowing what the heck he was trying to say basically you know and some people don't like that some people wish he was more subtle um but there's something to be said there i think in terms of how effective that style of storytelling is versus what's done here well can i just say before dan goes like i really don't think i think that what soderbergh does with this film is even less is even less subtle than what um, Adam McKay does. Like, this movie is, like, well, the, yeah. even a lower common denominator than the way Adam McKay explains things in Vice and The Big Short. Like, I felt this... I was I was kind of anticipating this to be wonky. Like, I know Soderbergh. I know what he's kind of capable of and how his quirky style can kind of meet, like, really smart material. And this is just not smart material. It's so... It's not as wonky in detail and an explanation as I was expecting it to be. And, I mean, even though I found it entertaining, it is... I thought it's kind of a frustrating um, experience in a way, even though I. Well, can I just say I wrote down, for example, I wrote down the secrets. Secret one Mm. is the meek are screwed. Okay, I get that. Secret two, it's just shells. 
you know, we learned a little bit about offshore accounts, shell entities. I think this was stuff that we kind of already knew heading into the movie. Okay. Secret three was tell a friend. Um, all right. Uh, okay. I'm not really sure what you mean by that, but I get, I think I get it. Secret four bribery 101. All right. Uh, we got to understand like how bribery works. I, I mean, I already said how bribery works and secret five making a killing. And it's like, I don't understand just like in terms of how these are like all broken out and everything, like what this movie is expecting to a teach us and B um, like, I don't feel judged properly as an audience member in terms of my own knowledge that I am bringing into this movie. This movie seems like it wants to have it both ways where it wants to try to teach us something that we don't already know while also respecting, um, you know, the knowledge that we already have or don't have. It's, it's very odd in that way to me. It felt to me like it got too caught up in this is bribery and forgot to ever tell me what the Panama papers were. There you go. It it wasn't, but it, the Panama, it's not about the Panama Papers themselves. It's about the practices exposed by the Panama Papers. And those are the secrets that they're talking about. I think the um, the structure of it with these five secrets, I think that is stupid and doesn't work because, like, I mean, two of them are, at least two of them are really secrets. I mean, bribery 101, that's not a secret. Yeah, right. right. That's like, what I mean. I'm yeah. Thinking that. College. I was waiting for this movie to like kind of tell me something that I'm like, yeah. all right, tell me something I don't already know. The names of the chapters as secrets, like it's cute in the beginning and then it it fizzles out. And I don't think that's something that works. But I do think what works is, you know, it going through like these are the elements of what these things do. And we're going to show you how these practices work in practice and also have a movie that does a lot of the same things. And I think that I would have been more on board with that if they had kept the, I think her name's Ellen Meryl Streep's character. If they had kept her plot line going in and out like properly amongst those five themes, if we want to say instead of secrets, it's, it's I, think does, I, I don't think it does it in a very d- particularly it, strong you lose way. Her, like two thirds yeah. of the way through, like no, she comes, she she's throughout the movie. I mean, yes, but she's I don't know doing anything. Yeah, no, I, I I will admit that. Um, also knowing the big reveal, yeah, uh, before I saw the movie, I think might have hurt my viewing experience yeah. uh, versus those who saw it had no idea and it was like this big <gasps> moment absolutely and let me tell you when i saw this at the premiere at tiff which wasn't the world premiere it was the north american premiere um i had not heard about that big reveal at the end and when it was revealed i was like oh Oh, holy shit. Oh, well played film. Well played. And like the audience applauded. There was no, there was no booing. There was no, the, I, I think that people who are getting up in arms about this, like, I think they're missing. And I really hate myself for saying this, but I think they're missing what the movie was trying to do with that. And they're I'm- like, I, Get being upset that, I think about that's it, a totally separate issue. I think it's for okay. the wrong reason. I think that the issue, though, is that this is a Netflix film, and most people who watch it are going to watch it on Netflix, and they're going to have their phone in their hand if they're anything like me or most of the people I know, and they're going to Google who's in this cast because they're going to, you know, recognize 
like know that they know Gary Oldman from somewhere, but they're not sure who he is or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they're going to see that Meryl Streep is playing multiple characters. I, I mean, listen, people are going to have their phones out when they watch this. That's already problem number one, regardless of yeah, what they're doing on them. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, I think that that's something that's like that reveal is not going to have, even though like it's going to be interesting, it's not going to have the same impact. Because well, I will be say, watching it a second time, I, I I did not know how on earth when I first saw it that I didn't figure it out. Well, <laughs> to be fair, I mean, I I think it's actually you know anybody who knows Meryl Streep would be is can can point her out as this Latin woman like pretty easily. You know, in, in the disguise, um, I did know the reveal, but I was still kind of taken aback in its presentation. And the monologue, and I do think the point was well made. I still don't. Yeah, think that I mean, it, I mean, how could it not be when it's that brazen and blunt? <laughs> but like having her as this cameo Latin woman was not necessary, and it just it feels particularly it's, to me. It felt unnecessary, and it also felt like it was such a stereotypical depiction of a Latina woman. Yes, with the. The hip padding and the whatever. I, I don't know. Here, I, here's here's what I'm going to say in regards to that. We've all seen Angels in America, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are we up in arms about her playing a Jewish man? Nope. <sighs> all I'm going to just say in regards to that is this. Um, I don't, I'm not up in arms about it. I understand that people are because, you know, it's a racial thing. I get that. Um, but all I'm saying in, in regards is that she's done this before and we haven't, you know, said anything before. Now we are. And... At the end of the day, I think that I think the worst thing about it isn't so much the fact that it even happened. It was the fact that it happened. And it uh, to me, I don't see why it had any significance thematically or just in the plot because it, it breaks the fourth wall at the end. And I don't even know why that was necessary because um, that felt you want to talk about like being extremely blunt uh, for a movie that was at times very incoherent and emotionally unengaging, uh, for to in its last uh, few moments, kind of just come out swinging with that very very bold moment there, um, it just felt like such an imbalance to me. I feel like the last ten minutes is going. That is like the crux of the movie. Like people are going to love it or hate it sort of based on their reaction to that sequence. And I thought it was ballsy as all hell. I thought it was very, you know, fired up and passionate and had yeah. something to say. And that really spoke to me. And I'll tell you the thematic, I mean, when Meryl Streep is literally moment, talking to you yeah. as herself, you're going to listen. Well, it's like, <laughs> she was talking about it at the premiere afterwards, cycling through, four characters with the Latina woman and Ellen and herself and then the Statue of Liberty at the end, which is like, it's a really powerful moment to end on. And I think like for me, again, it mostly worked. It didn't work completely, but like it was so ballsy that I was like, Oh, okay. But I don't know. Like, like, like I said, I don't mind that it happened. I just want to know why, why was it necessary? I think, well, partially because, you know, if, if the movie and, you know, this is big if, because obviously we've had some mixed reactions to how the, how well the movie does this, but if the movie sets out, you know, what, all these practices are throughout the film and how people have gotten away with them. Like this is a real 
called action moment. And that is something that, let's be honest, don't usually happen in a lot of movies, even movies that are politically fired up. But then we talk about how, you know, we are quote unquote, smart audience members, we don't like to be talked down to. Well, see, but that was the thing. I didn't feel like it was them talking down to us. No, I, I, I agree, Dan. Meryl Streep's, her impassioned delivery of those words. Um, and I think, you know, the whole thing with that, what they were doing with having her play that character is like, they're, the movie is playing its own little shell game. It's playing its own little shell games throughout the movie. And that movie is sort of, that ending sequence is laying everything bare, cards on the table, like, you know, it's walking through backdrops and having props and costumes and empty sets and all this stuff. And it's tearing everything down, all the artifice, as the entire movie is trying to do with all these arcane legal practices. And again, like it may not work for everyone and I can see how, you know, like, people can take different levels of things. But for me, the way this movie explained and dramatized the practices that were exposed by the Panama papers, it, to me, it is, more memorable, like I'm going to remember what this movie was talking about, what examples were used, and what those examples related to more than I do what the scene, the various celebrity cameos in the big short were relating to. All right. I'm going to give you credit, Dan, for doing one thing just now. Yeah. All right. Amongst that entire explanation. Thank you for at least tying that into the concept of uh, shell companies, because I asked why you gave me a reason why yep. I, I think it's kind of a weak reason why, but it's at least one that I could be like, all right, fine. If that was really the intention. All right. I'll, I'll fine. Part of the <laughs> issue with it, is, though, is that to be honest, I didn't like digest the first half of that speech because I was just like, oh, oh, my God, they're doing this. Oh, there she goes again. Oh, wait, snap. <laughs> like. So I think that for me, it actually took away from the message because I was so caught up in like, oh, okay, they really went there. Oh, and again, oh, look at that. Like, I didn't get a chance to actually, and I guess, Dan, for you, like, you've seen it twice now. So you've, like, mm -hmm. really gotten to, you know, you were able to, like, hear it yeah. again. But I will say, like, that it didn't, like, all of these thoughts were, like, they're pretty much the same after the first viewing. Like a second viewing didn't, you know, really add anything specifically extra for me. Um, it just sort of like hardened the feelings that I already had about it. I'm also well, curious, like, I just want to know how much did y'all know about the Panama Papers going into this film? Next to nothing. Okay. <laughs> I knew a fair about I fair I knew a fair bit, which is why I feel like I was disappointed by the lack of wonkiness. Because I, was, I knew nothing, and I feel like I still know nothing. Yeah. <laughs> well, like I, I after watching The Big Short, I felt like I could maybe carry on a conversation about the events that are depicted in it and seem like I had an idea of what had gone on. When they started showing the newsreel footage of like in real life of all oh, big, you know, the big scandal right now, uh, you know, the Panama Papers are calling it or whatever. Right. And I'm just like, wait a minute. I'm like, this was a real world implication thing. I just was like, ah, <laughs> oh. you know, like I, I but I like had this moment of like, I feel like this payoff moment here of this big reveal 
uh, of what these companies are doing, it just... Uh, that didn't feel like payoff to me. That felt more like, hey, buddy, remember what you've been watching? This movie with all these cute cinematic tricks. Um, this was actually something that actually happened. You know what I mean? Cause, and and that was another thing for me, too, where mm-hmm. the cute cinematic tricks are constantly reminding the audience that this is a movie. So that this way, when uh, we get spoken to, when characters break the fourth wall and they address us, um, we're hopefully paying attention more. But I think it just had the opposite reaction. I'm also typically pretty good with accents, but I'm going to be real honest with y'all. I understood maybe half of what Gary Oldman said this entire film. Like, all I heard was the accent. I did not hear words. (laughs) It was my second favorite accent of all of Tiff. I um, watched the movie with subtitles, so So I was was okay. Matt, I should have done that because I truly was just (laughs) sat there and like most of the scenes being like, oh my God, what is he saying? Like... Why is he doing it like that? <laughs> well, you know, I Dan, going back to what to how what your big explanation was, I think I think you said it very well of what the movie yeah. was trying to. Achieve. I'll, I'll give you credit, Dan. Um, and I actually agree with you, you, maybe on fifty percent of that. Um, and for the record, I think the last scene is sensational. Like I I finished the movie and I was kind of like I lost a lot of interest. Like I started out pretty high in, in, in my level of interest. And then after it switched um, sort of narratives a couple of times, I was like, okay, I'm done. But then this last scene came and it just blew me away. Um, I don't, and I don't know how much of that was um, just the showmanship of just like the shock, I guess, or if it was actually the substance, I'm not sure. But um, I, I think that the elements are there. I don't think, I, I don't know. I just don't know if it can, if it's enough, that explanation of yours is enough to justify um, the, Meryl Street putting on a fake nose and a wig and padding to like I said it, it's an explanation it, I, I just I, I mean I don't think it's the best explanation but if, if, you know if it great taste but I think that it did yeah. a good I think it was effective at what it was trying to do and the last scene as a scene itself and what Meryl does with it like there's nothing else Meryl has ever done that is like that last scene no and I think no. that is enough. Like, and I, uh, well, I mean, there is, but it's her um, Golden Globes, uh, <laughs> what was it, the special award acceptance speech, the Lifetime Achievement. This also be the Mill Award acceptance speech. Yeah, and that was something I kind of like did come to a little bit because there is this brief moment where she goes from the one character to playing uh, her other character in the film, and then she changes her voice ever so slightly, and she becomes Meryl. And she's talking to us about what the message of the movie is. She's asking that we, uh, she, well, not even de- like asking, demanding, uh, basically that we ask questions. Well, she's still reading from the John Doe's um, manifesto. Right. So real action starts with asking questions, she says, right? And she's being herself when she says this. It almost did seem like I was watching an award speech where there is that call to action moment in the award speech where I got to say something important. Millions of people are watching me right now. I have their attention. What am I going to say that's going to leave a lasting impact? And then boom, she hits the stance, the movie ends. And I will admit that like that bit, yes, I... I liked I liked it. I did. I admittedly, I really did. I did just have a a bit of an issue like I said and just in terms of like why? I want to know more behind the intention uh with some of the choices that were made stylistically how this movie was presented. Um I'm telling you that whole scene with Matthias Schoenhartz, I I don't know what was going on in that scene. 
Yeah, that's the one that I think that's the weakest section of the scene by a good amount. Yeah. Uh, and just <laughs> clearly it's very I got yeah. about halfway through this movie and I just thought, thank God the report wasn't done in this style. <laughs> like... Double feature. Uh, nah the report works better with zero dark 30 than anything yeah in terms of its tone and how it's laid out you know it'd be funny though i know i know we'll get into this in a few minutes here but if meryl were to get nominated for this that saying people always say oh well she's just getting nominated for being meryl streep that would actually (laughs) apply here it's true (laughs) i agree yeah i definitely agree I, I like I said, and maybe if the movie uh, didn't treat her as a supporting character and treat her as the lead, and we followed everything from her perspective from beginning to middle, all the way to the end, um, I, I I think I would feel maybe a little bit differently because there might have been more room for uh, more character depth and expl- uh, exploration and so on and so forth. And for what she is given in this, I mean, she does the best that she can. Um, she's still very engaging to watch. Uh, that scene where she's being shown the uh, the apartment that she's hoping to uh, get with the insurance money, and then uh, another buyer comes in. She's great during that scene, you know? That scene, and she she evokes um, a lot of sadness and um, a, a lot of sadness and emotion in this performance. Uh, I, this is nowhere near her best work, but I still think it's interesting work from her. Um, mm-hmm. And she she starts the movie off on a really high note. And had she been the um, the sole the, the sole lead of the of the film, I think she would be a shoe in for a best actress nomination in typical Meryl form. But I'm interested to talk about further what her chances are as as, as the movie stands now. One of the things that really bothers me about this film is that um, there was a lot of potential to make people really care about these issues by showing its a full effects on people like Meryl Streep's character and right. how these issues that we feel are so far away from us as, you know, normal, um, non 1% people are really not actually that far away. And it kind of felt to me like they wasted that and instead just went through like varying vignettes of telling me that like rich people suck and i was kind of like yeah i'm aware bernie sanders told me that years ago but like i I just felt like there was wasted potential there's that scene with like david schwimmer and robert patrick where they're like to your point nicole they're just two normal people that like are looking to save a buck and they're just facing the consequences of this very horrific tragedy and they're being looked to for some answers here and they can't give them and they're just as confused as we are. It's like those moments that you're speaking to, yep. that's where the film is really at its best. Because, yeah, unless if I'm, you know, one of the president's best friends watching this movie or something like that, <laughs> you know, that's the kind of stuff I want to see. Well, so I, the thing that is really interesting that you said that, Nicole, because like for me, one of the reasons that the film works is that it kind of shows how these practices have a negative effect on just about everybody. (laughs) You have that real person thing with uh, Meryl Streep's character and the David Schwimmer and Robert Patrick characters. And then you have, you know, like the, the skeezy rich business people themselves in the Matthias Schoenart's Chinese, whatever was happening there, section. And then you have like, (laughs) you know, the completely unwitting 
family members of those people in the um in the adultery section of the movie and last of all you have the effect on the lawyers and their employees who actually perpetrated all these things um with the finale with um Antonio Banderas and Gary Oldman I like that scene where they're trying to like explain to like the employees and everything yeah. like you know yeah. uh as as everything is like melting down they got to go in front of everyone <laughs> and I mean, say like, something you, you have I mean the, how funny the two of them are without really like being funny yeah without really being funny it it it's great and it's not like it's campy it, it, there's funny. a degree like, of camp there for sure yes. they're they're working in very very camp registers i love that i think it's an inspired choice to have the two of those characters narrate the film as if like what we didn't do anything wrong and I think that is like absolutely an, an aim, like a direct hit on Trump himself. But remember, though, the, the problem with that is there's never a moment where for Masek or uh, Fonseca that we ever care about them. They are our guides through this story. And there's never a moment where I ever feel anything for these characters there. It's entertaining to watch these actors doing these performances and hamming it up a little bit. You know, that's fun. Uh, so yeah, I get it when someone says this movie's entertaining to watch at times for those reasons, but I'm looking for a human story to find in all of this. I'm looking for an emotional takeaway. So that this way, when Meryl has her call to action, I am fired up and ready to actually go to action. Instead, the only action I was committing was shutting off my Netflix, you know, when this was over. <laughs> so I have one question to ask you guys before we get in the final thoughts here. Uh, Ryan, I'll start with you. When will the meek inherit the earth? God. <laughs> Never. Never. Not, for a long, not in our lifetime. Yeah. Okay. Dan? Never. Nicole. Did we lose Nicole? <laughs> no, I'm reflecting. Um, <laughs> um, I don't know, but it's certainly not going to have anything to do with this film. <laughs> all right. All right. Dan Bayer, final thoughts on the laundromat. It works for me. I know that it's not going to work for everybody. Um, I think that it's a big, huge swing for the fences, and I think that's a very typical Soderbergh. Um, I think it is playing with a lot of things that I see a lot of people not 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 getting, but not realizing that that's what it's doing, and it's very frustrating to me. But at the same time, I get people's criticisms of it. I just didn't have those criticisms of it myself. All right, Ryan. Well, I, uh, I I enjoyed this movie. I, I'm actually kind of looking forward to watching it again, like putting it on some morning. I'm just reading the news and just like relaxing and having it on in the background. Um, but I can't, and I do think it is competently made, like with camera angles and some of the cinematography. And I think that the cast is the cast is charming to watch. Um, but the screenplay is not as sharp as Soderbergh could have, should have, 
wanted to make this. And I don't think it explains the Panama Papers well. And that's the goal of it. And it, it fails at that. Okay. All right. Nicole? Um, so first of all, I would recommend watching this with subtitles. Um, no, I honestly, like if you like things like the big short and vice, then, uh, I would recommend going and watching the big short or vice. Uh, not this movie. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, kind of, but yeah, it, it really didn't work for me. I can understand where it could work for other people. I think that maybe it might be more effective if you go in with some like pre-knowledge about the Panama Papers and you're not expecting this film to explain them to you in any way, shape, or form, despite it claiming that it will. Yeah, I don't know. I was trying to spin that positively in like some way, but I just can't. So I am positive I will never watch this film again. And I will end by saying uh, there's another Steven Soderbergh film on Netflix that I know a lot of people didn't watch earlier this year called High Flying Bird. And I highly recommend that people check that out. Um, my grade is a three out of ten. Ooh, ouch! Like I said, I'm very, very harsh when uh, you have this much potential, and you really should have been so much better. Okay. It's um like I'm I'm, I'm I I can say that wholeheartedly. Like it's not one of my worst movies of the year. That would be the two. Um, it, I'm not mixed on it, so it's not a five. And I'm not mixed negative. Like, I'm firmly, firmly pretty negative with, like, one or two bright spots. So, yeah, three makes most sense for me in this case. Okay. Ryan? Um, I give it a six. Okay. Nicole? Um, I gave it a two. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, I mean, considering what you said before about, like, you know, <laughs> uh, other movies that you have seen, I, I understand, you know? I, like, never – I didn't think I was going to give a single two this whole year. Um, but, hey, this this movie – Something has to be in the bottom of the pile, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't think anything could beat Dumbo for me, but <laughs> I, yeah, I don't like movies with wasted potential, so. Yeah, no, yeah. High five for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Dan? I am at a seven. All right, bringing balance. Balance to the laundromat. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right, so I guess the Oscar potential lives and dies with Meryl, so what's the deal? It's not happening. <laughs> All right, so listen, you're the most positive person on this, and you're saying it's not happening. So is that it? Is it, is it a done deal? Like, no, I'm like listening no. to, listen to the divided reactions that we had of this. Like, Even if reactions to this are like, yes, Meryl is the best thing about it, but the controversy that that I mean, frankly, and I I, can, I I hate hearing myself say this, but like the frankly ridiculous controversy around her playing the Latina woman, like that completely ruined any chances she had. I mean, because she's Meryl, she's always a part of the conversation, and she's really really good in this. But that controversy, I think, killed any chance she might have had. See, I don't think the controversy. Uh, I think it, it, it had, there was a little spurt of it, but I I feel like people dropped the conversation about it a couple of days after people started talking about it. Like even well, yeah, because once they realize that the movie's not a thing and it's not really going to yeah. be an awards conversation, uh, that's the thing with uh, with controversy in award season. You know, it's like once the film like seems to have died, every then everybody just moves on then to the next thing. People don't harp on it yeah. anymore. Then and, you know. But well, the, I find that the more people get to see this movie as it's, you know, had more critic screenings and has 
been released on Netflix, I have seen more people get really upset about it, which I, again, like I think is somewhat unfair, but I, I get it, but like, I hate my. That's what I, that's what I want to say too. Like I said before, like I get it. Like I understand. I'm not trying to discredit anyone's yeah. feelings on this yeah. on this subject. That's why though I asked the question: Why was there a reason behind it? That's all I wanted to know. Because it's like we know Meryl could do this. We know Meryl could literally play anything. She's like Scarlett Johansson. She could play a tree. No, but in all honesty, like uh, Daniel Day-Lewis wasn't kidding when he accepted the Oscar and he said he was commissioned to play uh, Margaret Thatcher and Meryl was supposed to play Abraham Lincoln. You know, it's like it's entirely possible. <laughs> I think it wouldn't. Aff- I, I, I don't want to say it offends me because that feels a little bit strong. I do take issue with it. And I think that I wouldn't as much if, you know, if she was playing like a third character and the point was like, oh, ha ha, people aren't what you think they are or whatever. Like if they. I don't know. To me, it felt really unnecessary, and thus I couldn't justify the fact that they'd done it in this, like, also, like, very... The way that they've done her up to be this other character is, like, almost a little bit grotesque, like, with the padding and the prosthetics and the horrible wig, frankly. Well, they they want to do the whole hiding in plain sight thing, yes, and... but it just yeah. felt a little bit, like... I don't know. To me, it really, it really bothered me. And I think it probably took me, I mean, I already hate this movie, but it made it even worse. I wish I knew. I, I, I'm sorry. I wish I didn't know um, because I wonder how I would feel about it if I literally had no idea. And then the moment did happen. And I, I do, I, I do wonder, you know, I think even then I'd have been like, well, that's weird. Like that they didn't use that. In a way but the but the initial like shock through the system and like the the wave of like oh my god it's Meryl like I think I would be like holding on to that feeling in my review here and I'd be like yeah like it's a little odd but man was it cool to watch it happen you know what I mean like I feel like I would be a little bit more um, enthusiastic if I didn't know and I I, I Dan I, I I understand like you know from your point of view then in that case you know. Like, I get it. <laughs> um, but once again, I do think that the reasoning behind it is one that is kind of weak. But and listen, it is what it is. All right. We've I think we've already given this movie more than it's uh, <laughs> fair, yeah. fair do well, here. I mean, you know, can I, I also have to say, like, if if <laughs> the, the film, like, technically, I think is really well done. The cinematography and editing I'll, I'll give are credit there. as good as they always are on Soderbergh's films. Like it's really well put together and well shot. And I, well, I, I can't leave this without saying Yeah, that. I'll give credit with that. This was not shot on iPhone. He, he does his own cinematography, his own editing. And, you know, he doesn't have a um, he doesn't just have one style in terms of his cinematography and his editing. Like he changes it depending on the type of film and story that he's telling. Um, so I, I definitely have a lot of high praise for him for that. Can I just take it back to Meryl's Oscar chances? I don't think I agree. A, a nomination is an uphill battle for her, and it's probably not happening. But I don't think it's impossible. I mean, Best Supporting Actress is is weak this year, and we don't really know what's going to shake out there just yet and i could easily see her getting into sag for this because netflix things tend to do well at sag golden globes love meryl she and that there may be a weird nomination for her there i don't think it's entirely impossible i think she's maybe like in seventh 
seventh right now, and it could easily happen. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Dan Bear, where can they find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Dan on film. Nicole Ackman. I am on Twitter and Letterboxd and all the things at Nicole Ackman 16. Ryan C. Showers. You can find me at RCS818 on Twitter. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of The Laundromat here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon for $1 minimum a month. You will get some exclusive podcast content from us. And don't worry, that money does not go to an offshore account or a shell company. <laughs> that money goes towards uh, film festivals and everything else over here to help fund uh, the MVP train and keep things running. So we really, really appreciate that. Thank you so much for listening, as always. And we shall see you all next time.